Okay, Matthew 16, 18. Please stand out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Jesus speaking says, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Thank you. you. May be seated. I found out something this week, and that is that it is hard to find jokes about rocks. You know, this is your Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. Uh, so this one's kind of lengthy. But anyway, there was a graduate anthropology student who was dropped off on an uncharted island to study the natives there. Two weeks later, when his professor comes for a visit, the student says these natives use the same word for palm tree that they do for rock. Let me show you. The student then points to a palm tree, and the natives say, Ungabunga. Then the student points to a rock, and the natives say, Ungabunga. The professor says, well, let me try. So the professor points to the palm tree, and the natives say, Ungabunga. The professor then points at the rock, and the natives say, Ungabunga. The professor then points at a coconut, and the natives say, Ungabunga. The professor then points at a table, and the natives say, Ungabunga. The professor tells the student, you haven't discovered that natives use the same word for palm tree and rock. And the student says, well, what have I discovered? The professor said, you've discovered what the natives word, what they use for the index finger. You know, because he was pointing at the tree and the rock. Ah, whatever. <laughs> Let's look this morning at the king and the keys. The king and the keys. Looking first of all at the rock. Now the word Peter, the name Peter means rock. And our Catholic friends incorrectly believe that Peter was the first pope based on this verse, where it says, you're Peter, and on this rock, and Peter means rock, I will build my church. Now, there is some Greek grammar going on here, and there is a play on words at work here. But really think about this. Would Jesus build his church on a fallible human being? Do you think Jesus would build his church on a fallible man like Peter? Remember from a couple weeks ago, Peter sank when he took his eyes off Jesus. In the very next chapter, or a few verses down actually, in verse 22, when Jesus says, well, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me, and Peter said, not on my watch, it's never going to happen. And you remember what Jesus had to say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Not only did, not only did Peter sank and Peter argued, Peter denied at the end of Jesus' passion. Peter's standing around the fire and people say, hey, Weren't you with Jesus? He said, I don't even know who you're talking about. Three times Peter denied Christ. Now, do you really think Jesus would build his church on a fallible human being like Peter? The answer is no. He built the church on himself. In fact, Peter would later call Jesus the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. Look here at 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Does Peter say, hey, I'm the cornerstone? No, he doesn't. He says Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus did not build his church on a fallible human being like Peter. He built his church on himself. And Jesus proclaims that here. In our, in our text for this morning, he said, I will build my church. Not Peter will build my church. Not some other preacher or apostle is going to build my church. I will build my church. Not people are going to build the church like Peter or the apostles. 
not programs. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. He established it. He purchased it with his own blood. And you know this, but the church is people. It's not buildings or denominations. Now, we kind of get confused with that. But the church is not buildings or denominations. It's people. And the word Jesus uses here for church, ecclesia, there's a little bit of argument among scholars. Some people say, well, it just means it's an assembly. Others say, no, when you break it down in the Greek, it means called out ones. Well, it's both. It's an assembly of called out ones. People have been called out of the world to Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, your name is Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I'll build my church, what's he talking about? The rock to which Jesus is referring is Peter's confession. It's Peter's confession. And Peter's confession is just a couple verses ahead, uh, behind us in verse 16. And the church is built on this confession. Let's look at Peter's confession here. Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now the context of this verse, Jesus gets to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he says, Hey, whom do people say that I am? And they say, Well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Then Jesus says, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter speaks for the crowd. He says, You're the Christ the Son of the living God. And after Peter says that, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock, this rock-solid confession, not on you, Peter, but on what you just said, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice here from this passage, Peter identifies Jesus, first of all, as the Christ. Now, that's the Greek word, Christ. The Hebrew word is Messiah. It refers to a promised one or a Savior. The Messiah is the Savior, now, Peter does not call Jesus Savior here, but guess who did? The Christmas angels. When they, when they announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And notice what Peter says. Jesus is the Christ. Not a Christ. The Christ. And so the confession, Peter identifies Jesus as the Christ. Secondly, he identifies Jesus as the Son of God. In other words, Jesus is God in the flesh, fully human, yet fully divine. He is not a created being less than God. If you have any Jehovah's Witness friends, this is what they believe. They believe that God the Father created Jesus, who is less than the Father, and then Jesus went on to create everything else. Jesus is not a created being less than God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And notice what Peter says here. You're not only the Christ, you're the Son. There's only one. God has many children, but God has only one Son. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God or the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So God has many children. He has only one Son. Now, if you have any Mormon friends, our Mormon friends believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but so is Satan. And so God has two sons. He has Jesus and he has Satan. Well, I don't care what the Mormons believe. It ain't so. God has many children, only one son. God the Father and God the Son share a unique relationship within the Godhead. But notice, he's not a son. According to this confession, he is the son. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son, and look at the last son. He is the living one. 
as opposed to all other gods and idols which are not living. And he is the living God. There's only one. Jesus, who is God, did die once, but he is now alive forevermore. Notice here in this confession, Peter provides an exclusive answer, not an inclusive answer. Very exclusive. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're not a Christ. You're not a Son. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is one of a kind. There's never ever been anybody like he is. There's never been anyone who could do as he could do. And by the way, Peter's not the only one using this word, the, concerning Jesus. Jesus used it concerning himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive. Jesus is the way to the lost. He is the truth to the deceived. He is the life to the dead. Does it matter? Really, all this, I know I've been yelling, but does it matter? Does it matter what Peter said? Does it matter what we believe? Your answer to Jesus' question, whom do you say that I am, has eternal significance. In fact, this is one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. You say, well, I thought that was John 3.16. Well, John 3.16 is good, but this is one of the most significant passages in the Bible. This is one of the most significant questions in all of life. Whom do you say that Jesus is? Why is that significant? Because if you don't know who he is, and you don't know what he is, you're not going where he is. You want to go to heaven one day? You better know who Jesus is. You want to go to heaven one day? You better know what he is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nothing else is acceptable. No one else is acceptable. Does it matter? You better believe it matters. Your answer to this question from Jesus, whom do you say that I am, has eternal significance. Because if you don't know who he is, and you don't know what he is, you're not going where he is. And so we see the rock. But secondly, let's look at the gates. He says, the gates, I'll, I'll establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says here, hell cannot stop his church. Now the word hell there, if you're using a different version of the scriptures, you might see it there. But in Greek, it's the word Hades. Now the, the Hebrew word for Hades would be Sheol. And the reason I tell you that is that the Jews believed that everybody who died went to Sheol. Everybody who died went to went to Hades. Everybody, that's just what they believed. They were wrong. Hey, I'm picking on everybody today, right? I picked on Jehovah's Witness. I picked on Mormons. I picked on Catholics. Now I'm picking on Jews. They believed that everybody when they died, they all went to Hades or Sheol. In fact, only dead unbelievers go there because all dead believers go to heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment a believer in Christ dies, you're with him in heaven. So the Jews incorrectly said everybody goes to Hades. No, only unbelievers. In fact, let me show you this. The occupants of Hades will be resurrected to be judged one day. This is in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13. I've underlined the word hell because that word hell is Hades. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Again, when Jesus say the gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, this is a place of the unbelieving dead. 
But what was Jesus saying anyway? He was saying death cannot stop the true church. Jesus' death did not stop the true church. In fact, it helped to found it. The apostles' death did not stop the true church. The martyrs' death through the millennia did not stop the true church. Death cannot stop the true church. Well, I mentioned martyrs. That word in Greek means witness. And the idea behind it is you believe so fervently in something, you're willing to die for it. You may know this from Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, that Stephen, a deacon, was the first martyr of the Christian faith. Jesus is letting us know the church will never die. And how could it? Our founder is eternal. Our membership is eternal. How can something that is eternal die? But there is something that can stop the true church. And do you know what can stop the true church? Oh, it's not death. It's a lack of evangelism. Lack of evangelism will stop the true church. We are always only one generation away from extinction. If our generation fails to reach the next generation, guess what the church of the future will be? It won't be. Death cannot stop the true church, but lack of evangelism will stop the new church, the true church. That's why here at First Baptist, children's programs like Sunday School, Awana, and Upward are so critical. These aren't just fun times. Oh, they're fun, but they're not just fun times. We are trying to reach the next generation because we're always only one generation away from extinction. And the one thing that will stop the true church is a lack of reaching the next generation. You see, the church's role is, is to send people to heaven's gates, not to hell's gates. The church's role is to send people to the gates of pearl, not to the gates of perishing. Jesus said, I will establish my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when you think about gates, gates are put up to keep people in or to keep people out, right? Well, hell's gates do both. There is no exit from hell for unbelievers. When an unbeliever dies, that unbeliever goes from death to the lake of fire. And the Bible calls this lake of fire the second death in Revelation 20, verse 14. But while there is no exit from hell for unbelievers... There is no entrance to hell for believers. We go through death to eternal life in heaven. Again, I alluded to it earlier. Here's the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ dies, he goes through death to eternal life in heaven into the arms of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said the gates of hell will not stop my church. And so we've seen the rock. We've seen the gates. But thirdly, I want us to look at the keys. Jesus says, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Now, keys are symbols of authority. Keys unlock doors. I've told you this before, but I was so impressed as a student in school with the janitor's keys. When the janitor would walk down the hallway and he had that big ring of keys, I loved that. And I thought, that guy can go anywhere he wants. He can open any door he wants. He can open any cabinet he wants. He's got power. Although I was just a child, that's what we're supposed to think. Keys are symbols of authority. And what about in our day and time today? If a mayor wants to show that he appreciates somebody that has come to his city, what does the mayor do? He gives him the key to the city, right? 
Now, cities used to be walled and gated for protection. And a literal key locked and unlocked the gates. Having the key meant the holder was free to come and go as he pleased. Whoever had the key had authority to open. Whoever had the key had authority to close. Well, Jesus will unlock death for us at his return, for he has authority over death, having defeated it. By the way, here's a little bit of trivia for you. The Pope, the Catholic Pope, his insignia is a set of keys, one silver and one gold tied together by a red cord based on this verse. Again, the Catholics believe that Peter was the first pope, and they believe that Jesus handed him these keys, and so we see that even in the papal insignia. Notice what else Jesus says. He says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose shall be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? Well, binding and loosing refers to forbidding or permitting. Once something is bound, it's forbidden. If it's loosed, it's permitted. What is Jesus saying here? The church has permission to proclaim admittance to the kingdom of God based on the authority of the word of God. It's not based on the preacher's opinion. It's not based on the deacon's opinion. It's not based on some pope's opinion. It is based on God's word and his word alone. The church has the authority. We have permission to proclaim admittance to the kingdom of God based on the authority of the word of God. And the church proclaims the gospel, which both loosens and binds. The gospel loosens people from sin and hell, and it binds people to Christ and heaven. Not the church, not the pastor, the gospel. And the church proclaims the gospel. This church does anyway, proclaims the gospel. It looses people from sin and hell, and it binds people to Christ in heaven. I wonder this morning, have you believed the gospel? What is the gospel? That Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. That Jesus was buried for your sins. And the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. Have you believed that? I know you've heard it, because I say it all the time. But have you believed it? Have you received it? Again, the church has permission to proclaim admittance to the kingdom of God based on the authority of the word of God. And the word of God gives to us the gospel. And the Bible says, when you believe the gospel, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Amen. Have you believed the gospel? Well, I want to get a little off topic here, because Jesus mentions another set of keys. In Revelation chapter 1 and 18, look at this. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus said he has the keys to hell, that's the word Hades again, and death. Jesus experienced death, and he defeated it, taking the keys to it. He acquired the keys by his resurrection from the dead, and he is now alive forevermore. You see, Jesus defeated death personally, and Jesus defeated death permanently. And he now offers eternal life to all who believe. Isn't that great? Amen. He offers eternal life to all who believe. He experienced death. He defeated death. He rose from the dead. And now he wants to offer us eternal life. He's got the keys. What do keys mean? Authority. Authority. So in conclusion, 
I want to invite you to confess your faith in the one who holds the keys to death, and that's Jesus. I want to encourage you to believe in the only one who can keep you from the second death and grant you eternal life with him in heaven. It's that simple. Confess your faith in the one who holds the keys to death. What did Peter do? He made a confession. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this confession. I encourage you to confess your faith in the one who holds the keys to death. Believe in the only one who can keep you from the second death and grant you eternal life with him in heaven. So this morning we looked at the rock. What is the rock? Peter? Must be. Peter means rock. No. Peter's confession. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, yep, I'm building my church on that rock-solid confession. So we've seen the rock. Secondly, we looked at the gates. The gates of hell, the gates of death. Jesus said, not even death can stop my church. Oh, people through the millennia will die, but my church keeps going. Our founder is eternal. Our membership is eternal. How can something that's eternal die? And then we looked at the keys. Remember, keys are symbols of authority. And Jesus hands the keys off to the church. He says, now, you can proclaim who gets into heaven who doesn't based only on the word of God. Not your opinion, not what your preacher thinks, not what your denomination thinks, what I've already said in my word. And then Jesus says, don't forget, I got the keys to death and hell. Oh, I died, I went there, and I came back, and I've got the keys. So where's your faith this morning? Is it in the church? Is it in the denomination? Is it in yourself, your good deeds? It better be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn from Peter's rock-solid confession. When Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'm building my church on that. Not you, Peter, on what you just said. Have you made that same confession? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? He can be. Right here, right now, by grace through faith. Just put your trust in Him. Believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christian, if you've already received Him, this is a message our world needs to hear. There is life beyond death. It's eternal life. And it's amazing in heaven. But remember... If you or they don't know who Jesus is and don't know what Jesus is, ain't going where Jesus is. You want to go to heaven? You need to believe, confessing with your mouth from your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Receive him as your Savior. Receive eternal life right here, right now, today. And Christian, share this with others. They don't have to experience a second death. They don't have to go through death into the lake of fire. They can go through death into life eternal with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of worship. And now it's time to make decisions. There may be people that need to receive Christ as Savior for the very first time. There may be those who want to join this church or be baptized. Lord, I don't know what you're doing in this congregation today, but we obviously offer you liberty to do whatever you want to do. So, Father, we pray for those who need to receive Christ as Savior. Give them grace and faith right here, right now to believe. 
And for those of us who are believers, we've got a message to share that this world needs to hear. We're all going to die. We don't have to die the second death. We can live with you forever in heaven. Give us courage to share that. And we thank you in Jesus' name.